Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, December 17th, 2022. It's been 3,216 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 297 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Some quick housekeeping. We'd like to remind our listeners that our team will be taking a well-deserved break for a few days in December and January, so we will not be publishing new episodes on December 25th and 26th, nor on December 31st and January 1st, and we'll be focusing on special reports in the first week of January. Our full situation reports and regular update podcasts will start up for 2023 on January 11th. Of course, if there are any major developments during that time, we will jump in with coverage and analysis. With that out of the way, let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, Army General Sergei Sorovyakin, has increased the operational tempo to create a political victory before December 31st by employing the same strategy as his predecessor, Colonel General Alexander Lopin, on the Solidar-Bakhmut axis. Second, we maintain that Russia is still conducting stealth mobilization, and it's almost certain that the second wave of partial mobilization will begin in January or February 2023, despite Kremlin denials. Third, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished further and is now a remote possibility during the winter months. Fourth, our assessment that terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure would continue at least through December 22nd was, regrettably, accurate. Fifth, we maintain Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Sixth, we maintain that a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction, is possible. Seventh, our assessment that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing more unrest outside the Kremlin was accurate, with numerous Russian mill bloggers openly criticizing the Kremlin tactics, strategy, intentional disinformation spread by Russian state media, and the treatment of Mobiks. Eighth, we maintain that Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu is reaching a point where his continued leadership of the Russian Federation Armed Forces is at risk, and that it will be politically difficult to blame Army General Sorovyakin, Commander-in-Chief of the Russian Aerospace Forces, for failing to defend Russian airbases. Ninth, 
We maintain that neither belligerent will enter an operational pause over the winter. 10th. We maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. 11th. We maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin to be combat effective due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. And finally, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. The front throughout Luhansk remains frozen, with swings of 500 to 1,000 meters in either direction, sometimes multiple times a day. Russia has launched a series of smaller spoiling attacks to delay a larger Ukrainian offensive push. On the Svatova axis, the village Volodymyrivka was shelled throughout the day, according to the general staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU. Russian forces continue to try to push Ukrainian troops out of Novoselivske without success. Mercenaries with Rybar reported that Russian forces launched a spoiling attack on Stelmachivka, but did not gain any new territory. On the Kremina axis, both Russian and Ukrainian sources reported fighting continued for control of Ploshanka and Chervonopopivka. Ukrainian forces made marginal gains, taking back territory lost on December 14th. Mercenaries with Wargonzo reported that Ukrainian forces attempted an advance on Holokova and were attempting to take physical control of the P-66 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. Rybar also reported that Ukrainian forces reached Kremina in an unsuccessful attack. They did not specify if they approached from the northwest, west, or southwest, so we did not adjust the map. The Russian Ministry of Defense reported continued fighting, quote, in the area of Dibrova. They made claims of glorious victory without evidence or reinforcement from the BARS-13 telegram channel. So, you know, grain of salt. On the Lusychansk axis, fighting for control of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, continued. The situation is described as difficult by both militaries, with Ukraine claiming their forces are maintaining a successful defense and Russian forces claiming to control part of the town. There hasn't been any social intelligence from the area to verify either claim. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported HIMAR strikes on Svatova, Kadyevka, Shastya, and Lantratyvka. A school that appears to have been used as a training facility or barracks in Lantratyvka, which is on the Russian border, was destroyed. Shasya is on the H-21 highway G-lock between Luhansk and Starobilsk. The Ukrainian National Resistance Center reported that local insurgents coordinated a December 13th strike on a Russian military base. The attack killed 20, including six Russian military officers, and wounded, quote, dozens. The LNR-JCCC reported artillery strikes on Svatova and Kremina on the same day. The private military company or PMC Wagner Group telegram channel Gray Zone has not posted since December 14th. The last post was several hours before the HIMAR strike on a Wagner headquarters in Kadyevka. It is an unusually long break from posting for the channel. 
In northeast Donetsk, on the Lysychansk axis, Russian DRG units were located near Ryorivka, west of Bilohorivka, and Vyimka, west of Spirne. Both forces were engaged and suffered losses, with surviving members returning to their defensive lines. The situation on the Solidarbakhmut axis is mixed, with Russian and Ukrainian forces finding success in different areas. On the Solidar axis, PMC Wagner shared a picture of three mercenaries at the shattered remains of the elementary school in Yakovlivka. This is the second picture report and third capture claim. The GSAFU did not mention Yakovlivka in any report in the last 24 hours, with Rybar and Worganzo reporting the town is under Russian control. The usually pessimistic Ukrainian source, Deep State, reported that Ukraine still held partial control. Pavlo Kirilenko, Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the area of Yakovlivka was shelled during the overnight hours. We maintain the settlement is contested, until we get better intelligence. Fighting continues on the eastern edge of Solidar and the southeastern part of Bakhmutska, with no change in the situation. The large-scale Russian attacks have turned into smaller groups of a company in size or smaller. On the Bakhmut axis, Ukrainian sources reported that Russian troops had reached the T-1302 and M-3 highway interchange southeast of Pithorodne, indicating our assessment over the last week was pessimistic, and Russian sources overstated battlefield gains on December 13th. Russian forces could not establish positions west of the ponds or along Fedora Maximenka Street in Bakhmut as they had previously claimed. PMC Wagner never established full control of the Siniat Ceramics Factory, with the overstated claims of September 26th repeated. Wagner also could not secure the recycling sorting plant, and Ukrainian forces pushed almost to the garbage dump. It was reported that PMC Wagner was rotated out of Opitne and replaced by a Russian naval infantry unit due to their inability to advance and from suffering losses that have made the contingent in that area combat ineffective. South of Bakhmut, Russian forces made marginal gains west of Klishivka. Ukraine's counteroffensive west of the T-513 highway is producing mixed results. Ukrainian forces continued to repel attacks on the hamlet of Avdiivka, the one in Donetsk, and the GSAFU reported successfully repelling an attack on Zelenopilia, indicating that marginal gains are being made from Avdiivka to Ozaryanivka. Wargonzo reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive but not finding success in Kurdyomivka and Ozaryanivka, while the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces were defending their positions in both towns. Southwest of Ozaryanivka, Russian forces crossed the canal and were advancing on Dlyivka. Ukrainian forces Ukrainian forces repelled an attack on Druzhba. Ukrainian forces repelled an attack on Druzhba, while the Russian MOD reported forces with the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, attempted to advance on Shumy. In Russian-occupied Irmino, Luhansk, a large ammunition depot was destroyed in a rocket attack launched by HIMARS. Located 40 kilometers east of Bakhmut on the T-504 Highway G-Lock, the loss of the depot could potentially impact Russian operations in the short term. Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack struck Kramatorsk, damaging a school, homes, and a road. 
City officials had completely repaired the roadway in less than 24 hours. In southwest Donetsk, on the Horlivka axis, Russian forces appear to be trying to put pressure on the New York Toretsk Zelizny Triangle with attacks on different Ukrainian defensive points. A Russian advance on Oleksandropil was unsuccessful, while Ukrainian forces repelled an attack on Novobakhmutivka. We received better intelligence on the situation in Vesele and moved the line of conflict east of the H-20 highway. On the Avdiivka axis, Wargonzo reported continued fighting in Vodyana, disputing the Russian MOD claim that the settlement was captured on December 14th. Russian sources reported continued fighting in Pervomaiske and another attempt to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske, which was unsuccessful. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting in Marinka, which has lessened in intensity, with the 1st Army Corps relying more on artillery strikes. Russian forces continued their attempts to flank Marinka, this time from the south, with unsuccessful attacks on Pobida. On the Volodar axis, the tradition of attacking Novomikhailivka was maintained by the DNR separatists, who were, once again, unsuccessful. The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian troops attempted to advance on Solodka but could not break through the Russian defenses. No other source reported fighting in the area. The Russian MOD also claimed entirely without evidence that Ukrainian forces attempted to advance on Shevchenko and Novomayorsk. On the Velika Novosilka axis, Rybar appears to be clinging to the hope that something will turn out right for Russian forces, reporting continued fighting, quote, in the area. In the area likely means near Neskuchne. The People's Militia of the DNR-PR channel claimed their forces destroyed two main battle tanks, or MBTs, a self-propelled 152mm howitzer, or SPG, a P-18ML mobile radar station, and eight, quote, armored and automotive vehicle units. The Oryx database did confirm that the mobile radar station was destroyed. Ukrainian forces carried out 157 fire missions on the occupied territories. Occupied Khorlivka and Donetsk were shelled with artillery, mortars, and rockets. There continue to be significant complaints on social media in Donetsk that bomb shelters are unprepared and access doors to shelters that should be left unlocked remain secured, despite denials from the self-declared leader of the DNR, Denis Pushilin. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling by both belligerents on the west and east banks of the Dnipro. The intensity of Russian strikes was diminished compared to December 14th, with Russian forces conducting 27 fire missions targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure. One civilian was killed and two wounded on December 16th, when Russian artillery shelled a high-rise apartment building. In the Korobelnyi district, Russian artillery destroyed a non-military production workshop and the administrative offices. Rockets fired by HIMARS hit a hotel housing Russian troops in Zelizny port on the Black Sea. Three rockets fired by HIMARS struck a Russian troop concentration in Skadovsk. 
There were social media reports that Russian-occupied Radensk was hit by up to 10 rockets. There was no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. The Ukrainian general staff claims that casualties are so high in Zaporizhia due to Ukrainian interdiction of troop and supply movements that mobile crematoriums have been brought to Tokmak to process dead Russian soldiers. A recent strike on the city destroyed up to 10 units of Russian military equipment and killed or wounded up to 180 soldiers. Russia launched dozens of S-300 anti-aircraft missiles for a ground attack, 72 cruise missiles, and four guided missiles at targets across Ukraine, including Zaporizhia. Between the cruise and S-300 missiles, the free regions of Zaporizhia were hit up to 18 times. Critical infrastructure was damaged, further reducing available electricity. In the rest of Zaporizhia, Russian forces remain in a defensive posture, with artillery and tank fire from the zaporizhia donetsk administrative border to Huliapola, to Orekhiv, to Stepova. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, the December 16th cruise missile attack on Ukraine included missiles fired by the Admiral Makarov, the Black Sea flagship which left Sevastopol for the first time since October 29th. At the time of recording, Russia had eight ships on patrol with one missile carrier capable of launching eight calibers. The recent launch of Iranian source Shahed-136 kamikaze drones was not made in Crimea, but in Russia, indicating that the drone launch base, along with 10 Iranian instructors, was likely damaged in the attack last month. The Kerch Bridge is permitting cars to travel across the structure, and a massive backup formed for unknown reasons. There were rumors of an explosion, but they were unfounded. Social media reports indicated that 13 Russian AN-26 transport aircraft flew in and out of Sevastopol. Quick sidebar, the AN-26 is a twin-engine turboprop light transport that has served the air forces of nations on five continents, including the United States. On the waters off the coast of the Mykolaiv Oblast, a Russian kamikaze drone attempted to strike the boat of the sea border guard and was destroyed by the crew before it struck the vessel. There was no information on what type of drone was used. Ochakiv was heavily shelled for over an hour in the morning, destroying civilian infrastructure and targeting residential areas. No one was wounded in the attack. In western and central Ukraine, Russian cruise missiles wreaked havoc across the region. The city of Poltava was left without electricity due to a Russian cruise missile strike. In Kremenchuk, also in the Poltava Oblast, electricity and heat were knocked out. In Zhitomir Oblast, a missile strike on energy infrastructure in Korostin knocked out power to parts of the region. Mayor Volodymyr Moskolenko said power could be out for an extended period and invincibility centers would be opened. Power was knocked out across the entire Kirovrad Oblast due to a strike on critical energy infrastructure. At the time of recording, power had been restored to 30% of customers. Ukrainian air defenses downed 10 Russian cruise missiles in the sky over the Dnipropetrovsk Oblast. Despite the effort, a cruise missile struck an apartment building in Kriviri, killing four and wounding 13. The dead included a one-and-a-half-year-old toddler whose body was found while we were editing the situation report. Among the wounded were four children who had to be hospitalized.
Electricity service was lost in parts of the city, while heat and hot water were maintained. The power outages trapped 596 miners underground. Russian forces continue to attack Marchanets in Chervonokhryorivka in Dnipropetrovsk, targeting residential areas and electrical infrastructure. There weren't any injuries reported. In north and northeast Ukraine, Russian forces launched 40 cruise missiles at Kyiv, with air defense intercepting 37. Explosions rocked the capitals Holosyevsky, Desnyansky, and Dniprovsky districts, wounding four and hospitalizing one. A facility that supplies water to some residential areas in Troyeshina was damaged, but cold water service was quickly restored. Hot water and heat are expected to return to Kyiv sometime today. In Cherniev, the village of Chai was shelled from across the international border. There were no injuries reported. In Sumy, the Hromadas of Bilopilia, Esmen, Mikolaivka, Seredina Buda, and Khotin were shelled by Russian troops from the international border. A total of 79 mortars, artillery shells, and bombs dropped by drones were used, and another 20 rocket-propelled grenades. The strikes landed in the unoccupied border area without any injuries. Missile strikes in Kharkiv temporarily knocked out power across the Sumy Oblast, but it was restored a few hours later. Ikhor Terekhov, the mayor of Kharkiv, reported, quote, enormous damage was done to the primary power system of the city by a Russian missile strike. Less than 24 hours later, power had been mostly restored. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian air defenses shot down 60 of 76 cruise missiles fired in the 20th attack on civilian infrastructure since October. The December 16th attack included 103 missiles, including 27 S-300 anti-aircraft rockets used for a ground attack. Between two and four KH-22 cruise missiles failed near Volgograd, Russia, with social media reports sharing pictures of the debris before the RIA removed the images from the Internet. Air defenses were 79% effective nationwide and 90% effective around Kyiv. Ukrainerho declared a state of emergency after the strikes, which was lifted about 12 hours later. While Ukraine's air defense was 79% effective, they apparently intercepted the most critical 79%. Ukrainian Deputy Defense Minister Hanna Malyar told reporters she could not rule out another round of mobilization in 2023, saying, quote, These things are difficult to predict, because mobilization depends on the needs of the war. In addition, there are losses and the need for recovery. Even those who are fighting now will eventually need to be replaced, end quote. A quick note here, just to be super clear, Maliar was not implying that the current frontline troops are fighting to the death. As Ukraine's military is maturing and rapidly adopting NATO standards, the need to set limits to how long a soldier is required to fight is recognized as critical to maintaining high morale. That's all. The United States reported they have evidence that Iran has signed a deal to provide Russia with short-range ballistic missiles, or SRBMs, to help replenish their depleted stocks. Ukraine's current air defense network will have a challenging time intercepting SRBMs. Belarusian leaders have withdrawn their forces, which were moved close to the Ukrainian border, announcing that military drills are over. 
Defense Minister of Belarus, Viktor Krenin, and his Russian counterpart, Sergei Shoigu, will participate in the talks between self-declared President of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, and Russian President Vladimir Putin on December 19th. Lukashenko continues to play the role of a very uncool Lando Calrissian, insisting he is not a puppet of Russia, saying, quote, I see that the situation is escalating now. Especially after these large-scale negotiations with Putin, everyone will say that there is no government in Belarus anymore. The Russians are already walking around and running the country. Once again, I want to emphasize that no one but us governs Belarus. End quote. While it's easy to dismiss the statement as a cool story, bruh, Lukashenko has continued to do just enough to keep the Kremlin happy without committing his nation to direct conflict with Ukraine. Dmitry Medvedev, deputy chairman of the Security Council of the Russian Federation, made a statement defining, quote, legitimate military targets in Ukraine, and was able to do it without mentioning nuclear weapons once. Not a single time. His pointless statement, surprisingly, did not include hospitals, malls, apartment buildings, dams, or residential neighborhoods. Medvedev hinted that targets could include those nations providing weapons and other support to Ukraine. Cool story, bro. In economic news, the Russian ruble ended the week with an exchange rate of 65 for one U.S. dollar in very light trading, declining almost 10 percent. Oil prices ended the week down as COVID started to rage across China with the end of the zero-COVID policy, sickening millions and bringing their medical infrastructure to its knees. WTI crude dropped to $74 a barrel, and Brent closed the week at $79. Russian Ural's crude declined with the rest of the market, falling to $57 a barrel. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market closed the week out down, falling to $2.13 a gallon, or $0.57 cents a liter. Severe weather has curtailed consumption, increasing supply. Dutch TTF natural gas futures also closed the week down, falling to €118 Euros per megawatt hour for January 2023 delivery and €119 Euros for February. Chicago SRW wheat futures closed the week up a nickel, rising to $7.58 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.